the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. Today we'll be discussing a potential new power source and the latest Cuban defector. The most interesting player alive today, for a change, we're actually going to go with the most searched for player, and that is you, Darvish. Eno, did you have a chance to watch any of the game yesterday? I did, and uh, it was like watching a fourth grader beat up on kindergartners. <laughs> well, I think this is a good example of why there's been uh, a big uh, group of uh, a big voice behind trying to bring in robot umpires because Yu Darvish lost his perfect game bid. Uh, I think it was in the eighth inning. I don't remember if it was the seventh or the eighth inning where. I was watching, I think, on MLB Network, and they brought up the uh, the K-Zone, and it was clearly a strike. It, it just hit the bottom of the strike zone. He called it a ball, next pitch was a ball, and he walked him. And that ruined the no, the, uh, the perfect game bid. And I think that's exactly what the problem with relying on umpires is. And I'm all for bringing in the robot umps. Yeah, you know, to me, the... The actual call was a little bit borderline, so, um, you know, it wasn't one of the more uh, upsetting. Oh, yeah. It wasn't, like, the most upsetting uh, one that I'd seen um, uh, this year or anything. But uh, th- what I didn't like was that once the call was obviously something that um, the catcher and the pitcher were not happy with, um, you know, Pruszynski jumped up and... Uh, you know, I guess from the perspective of the, of the umpire, he would say that by jumping up and demonstratively walking to the mound, uh, Pruszynski showed up the, the the umpire. But, I mean, I feel like they have to be thicker skin. I mean, they're friggin' umpires. So what I would have liked for the umpire to do was stay at home plate, let the pitcher and the catcher bellyache about the call, you know, let the catcher come back, sit down, and, um, you know, just have basically a, uh, uh, you know, just like have a breathing period. As a, what happened was that the man, the, the umpire went out with AJ Przezinski and um, and uh, just like uh, escalated it and yelled with him, and and, and then he threw AJ Przezinski out of the, out of the game, and there was still a no hitter on, so uh, it was a tight game, and you know, I I just didn't like that at all. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a surprise because Pierzynski is known to be a hothead. So it wasn't shocking. It was just silly, though, to even put himself in the position to potentially get thrown out of the game. I mean, it, it wasn't a 10 nothing game. It was only 2 nothing at that point. So obviously the Rangers still want to make sure that they win. They want the best offensive players in. I don't remember if Pierzynski got another at bat or not. But it was just a stupid move. And then it was interesting, actually. The broadcasters were asking who is the last guy to pitch a no-hitter or a perfect game with two different catchers. And, of course, that didn't. That was irrelevant because he ended up giving the, up the home run anyway. But I thought that was interesting to consider because, obviously, you don't normally have a catcher change mid-game when you're receiving a no-hitter. 
Yeah, right. You, you know, it's going well. You don't change things. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So, you Darvish's CR right now is at 260, which leads the American League and is almost the best in the majors. It trails just behind Matt Harvey at 259. So, there's a legitimate argument to be made that right now you Darvish is the best pitcher in baseball. What I mean, I love those strikeouts. Uh, he's uh, he's past. He's he's over 200 now. Um, and uh, it, the strikeouts and the velocity and the and the swinging strikes are all there, and it, it's all it seems very sustainable. The only thing for me is that um, I'm a little bit more worried about him in, in terms of keeper leagues. He doesn't have the ideal. I mean, just the, all the things that Zimmerman uh, talks about in terms of injury and stress on pitchers' arms are kind of you can tick all those boxes. He has an inconsistent release point. Um, he has control problems and he throws tons of sliders. So, um, and he even throws like two or three different kinds of sliders. So I feel like, uh, and he throws a lot of off speed stuff and he throws a curveball. So I feel like, you know, the, at some point injury is going to come calling. Also, he's been on the DL this year. So that, that alone predicts more DL time next year. Um, so I, th- I think that's an asterisk on it. It's not an asterisk on his production this year. It's been great. Yeah, well, we always say that health is a skill, and uh, Chris Sale is actually a good example. He was a guy whose ranking was, I think many people thought my ranking of Sale was lower than it should be, and I love Sale. I mean, it was nothing against Sale. It was more about his innings, and for me, for a starting pitcher, until you can prove that you can pitch 200 innings plus in a season, then I'm going to assume that that's going to be a struggle for you, and so far, you Darvish has not proven that he's going to be a 200-inning guy. Last year, 191 innings. He was injured this year. He's probably not going to get to... I mean, he'll be close to 200 innings. This year, he might not. So he's not a guy that, at this point, you can count on as being that ace-level 210, 220 innings year in and year out. And that's going to affect his fantasy value because it's going to decrease his win potential, his strikeouts, and his ERA and whip impact on your team isn't going to be as great if it comes over only 190 innings versus 230 from, like, a Justin Verlander. Yeah, I mean, uh, but then you see that the extra postseason innings seem to be hanging on Verlander a little bit this year. Yeah, this is true. So and- sometimes, sometimes, like, just the accumulation of innings and just the accumulation of pitches, even though it is a positive in that they've shown that they can pitch 200 innings and they can, they're a horse. Uh, and I think Matt Cain, you're seeing a little bit of it too, is whereas, you know, at some point there's just a, a, a massive accumulation of innings that has some sort of effect, maybe not necessarily throwing them on the DL, but, has, you know, kind of whittles away at their stuff a little bit. Right. So it could be a blessing in disguise that Darvish can't go 200 innings every single year because that's going to preserve his arm. But of course, the fact that he can only go 190, let's say, is also saying something about his arm that it's physically incapable of going right. Yes. Than that so, as a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the bottom line is, in the short term, it does hurt his fantasy value, and kind of makes it difficult for him to be the number one fantasy guy just based on the fact that Clayton Kershaw, for example, is going to go 230, 220 innings every single year, and that's going to really help his strikeouts and his, his win potential and the impact that his ERA and whip has on fantasy teams. All right, let's move along to Pittsburgh where Andrew Lambeau was officially called up to debut tonight. So let me ask you a multiple choice question. 
Who is Andrew Limbo? Is he the instructor for the new workout dance craze, Limbo for Lambo, or Limbo from Limbo by Lambo? I, I wrote that wrong. Limbo by Lambo, or is he the legend that Lambo Field was named after? Yeah, I was I was making the Lambo leap one, but I love on that on your story the uh, the, 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 the little bit of Tabata in my life, a little bit of Alvarez by yeah. my side. Those are some great comments in my article this morning. Yeah, the people had fun with his name. <laughs> um, I uh, the thing for me is that um, I'm you know you say in your in your piece that um, the assumption is that he wouldn't be called up to sit, but. Um, I do wonder, you, you talk about his, his platoon splits and his strikeout issues. Um, I do wonder if they're just trying to see if they're going to catch lightning in a bottle. Um, obviously, left field has been an issue for them all year. Uh, you know, and, it, and if, if Lambo doesn't sort of take off right away, if Lambo doesn't leap right away, um, then uh, you might end up uh, seeing, it, seeing him go back down or... or fall into a reserve role where he's platooning with Tabata or something. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's not like this is the Pirates team that isn't playing for anything, so it, it couldn't hurt to just play him for the rest of the year. They're in first place, which is crazy to say. And and so they're right in the thick of the playoff race, so they can't afford to just let Lambo flail and strike out and, and suck it up for the rest of the season. But, I mean, Jose Tabata isn't exactly uh, a big offensive threat. It's not like they have any great alternatives. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's Tabata, Presley, and Snyder, and it looks like Snyder's played his way out. Uh, Pres- I, is he hurt? What, Travis Snyder? Or did he just... I think you should just tell people that, that he's been playing hurt for the past, like, five years. Just have an excuse. <laughs> uh, the latest news, he's in the 15-day DL with discomfort in his left big toe. Really? Oh, uh, there you go. My toe hurts. That, that's what it sounds like. Well, I mean, you know, he was playing poorly. You know, he was playing some, and then they, <laughs> they were trying. They were trying. They, so they brought up Tabata, and they actually said Tabata's going to play. And uh, and then 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 Presley started being in the mix. Um, I mean, they just they don't have a great outfield other than McCutcheon is is the problem. Well, Marte. Oh, and Marta. I guess the, I'm just saying they don't have a great left field. They, that's that's been a problem for them. Um, and you know, Lambo, because the other guys are so flawed, there is obviously opportunity. And in, in deeper leagues, you got to jump on it. But if we're talking about 12, even a 14 team league, I mean, you really have to have a, a bench. You know, I'm in a 15 team league with like a four man bench, and I and I'm not going to pick up Lambo. What about his long-term future? Because you published something, I believe it was yesterday, that included Evan Gaddis and Darren Ruff about you know, relatively older guys who seem to be in their prime right now. And although they might perform well in the short term, their long-term outlooks aren't as rosy. And it seems like Lambeau would probably be in that same situation. There's a, uh, there's a little bit uh, different situation there. Um, you know... Darren Roof's big uh, 38 homer breakout season uh, was in Double A, and uh, he was 25, and the average age in Double A is 23. Um, and uh, Gaddis did something very similar. He was in High A at like 24 or something. So um, you know, you can't really look at those numbers and dream too hard on them because uh, those are those are pretty obvious two three year difference between what's between the player and the league. Um, 
you know, you look at uh, Lambeau's Double uh, A with the Blue Jays. No, I'm looking at Snyder. Whoops. Uh, I think I think Lambeau is a little bit uh, like a year younger, and I think that you know some of his breakout, yes, in Triple A is because he's older. But his breakout came in Triple A, and Triple A itself is older. So um, the average age in Triple A is like 24, uh, which means that. You know, he was last year, you know, his uh, or this year he was basically on age for triple A. And last year he might have been a half year older than some of the double A guys. It's not what I'm saying is this. It's not as obvious, even though it's like a, only a half year or a year difference. It's not as obvious that he was he was older than everybody. So who would you prefer for the rest of the season between Lambo and Ruff? Oh, that, that's rough. <laughs> because you know, Ruff has uh, as obviously the playing time, um, but you know Ruff's Ruff's like striking out thirty percent of the time in the major leagues, and he did that last year too. So uh, you know we're looking at at Lambeau coming up striking out about twenty five percent of the time. That could turn into thirty percent, or it could stay around twenty five percent. Or you know? it can improve because if you look at Lambeau's history, he hadn't struck out this often. In previous years, so you wonder if he changes approach consciously to tap more into his power, and if that's what's going to stick this year, or if things change. I mean, his skill set is kind of jumped around, so you're not really sure exactly what you're going to get from Lambo. But yeah, the potential is there for a 25% strikeout rate, maybe a 28%, or maybe even improving back to 20%. So he's a big question mark, I think. Yeah. And you actually, I, I did a piece today on Jaff Decker. Um, Jaff. Let's just say that name five times straight. Jaff. 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 Uh, Jaff is um, is uh, has a similar sort of thing where uh, I, and you can almost see it sometimes in the players' thing where strikeouts and power are are correlated, and you can actually watch a player try to cut down his strikeouts, and the power cuts down too. I mean, it takes in order to 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 hit a ball out. It takes a it takes a it takes a, a hefty swing, and in order to do a hefty swing, you're going to miss some balls. Um, so there is just basically an inverse relationship between um, uh, between strikeouts or a correlation between strikeouts and, and and power. So, I mean, I think it looks like Lambeau just tried to kind of sell out a little bit to 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 show his power. Um, you know, so you're right. There, there, are, there are more ranges of outcomes. I, the way I ended with the Ruff article was, you know, we know the most about Ruff in terms of minor league and age. Like we, we have the most, you know, background, and there's and it's pretty steady that he's going to strike out a lot, and you know, probably other than this one breakout year, show okay power, not great power. So uh, with Lambo, you have the chance that he shows great power, or you know, that he shows less power and, and strikes out less. So, I mean, I, I would just take the upside. He's also a year or two younger. He's two years younger than Ruff. So I'll take that um, and put it on my bench. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's nice with Ruff because it seems like his playing time is more solidified. And, and you don't know if Lambo is going to be sitting against lefties uh, early on. Plus, PNC Park isn't as good of a hitter's park as Citizens Bank. So this is kind of a, a toss-up for me. I, I'm pretty confident that Lambeau's power outburst this year was legit. It's um, not due to any park effects. The, the team was in the International League. This is not some PCL uh, inflation here. 
So I think he is pretty much legit, but I don't... Yeah, so, so he's 25 now, right? Yeah. And 20, yeah, so 25 in AAA is, is like a half year older maybe than, than, the, than the league. So that means he was 24 in AA. 24 in AA is like a half to maybe a full year. It's not, he's not Gaddis and Ruff. He's, 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 uh, he's, a, it's a, he's a little bit younger, and uh, I'm a little more excited about him. But he is a fringe prospect, so he does sort of belong in that discussion for sure. All right, speaking of prospects and power, Jose Abreu is the latest Cuban defector, 26-year-old first baseman. And you mentioned that he had some really intriguing Clay Davenport translations. And I I hadn't really been keeping up on the Jose Abreu, uh, Abreu news, but I did check in on his stats, and oh my God, his last couple of years, he actually destroyed the Cuban League. He basically had like double the number of walks and strikeouts. He had... I think more than one home run per 10 at-bats. It was basically like 37 home runs and like 300 at-bats. It was something insane like that. So his performance the last couple of years has been monstrous, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard that he's a, a little bit less athletic than uh, than Puig um, and um, he's been but a little bit stronger. So he's a little bit more like a, a first baseman slugger type um, and and maybe, maybe has better uh, plate discipline. Um, but the, the Davenport translation roughly is 330, as a, as a slash line, is 330, 450, 650, That's um, which is just ridiculous. Wait, now, is that translation based on – which season is that based on, or is it based on his career? What's taken into account with that translation? It's a career, and then – I mean, the problem is that it's a limited sample uh, translation. I, there's always problems with um, MLEs, uh, Major League Equivalencies. Uh, because, you know, depending on what you use to determine um, the, the player and the player sample that, he, and that he's being compared to, uh, if you do that, if you sort of refine that too far, then you get you have too much too small of a sample and you're just comparing it against like 10 other guys that look like him. Um, and the problem with uh, Breu is that it's a minor league translation and we don't have a ton of uh, Cuban hitters to compare him to. So... The sample is probably 15 to 20 guys that have come over from Cuba, uh, so that that means that we don't exactly know, um, you know, what he's going to do. Obviously, that's very intriguing upside. I mean, there are two hitters in baseball this year with a 300 ISO. Uh, if you want to, if you want to say car, cargo, that, that's obviously Crush Davis, Miggy Cabs. You got cargo uh, at 289. And then Edwin Encarnacion at 260, Dominic Brown 260. So that's that's your top five right there. And uh, you know, sounds like you might be slotting uh, a Cuban in there soon. I don't have Cespedes's Cuban stats up now, but I remember looking at them and the Davenport translations in the preseason of last year, trying to come up with a projection, and. I think I remember correctly that Jose Abreu walked more than Cespedes and struck out less. And it seems like he probably also has more power. So it seems like from a strict offensive standpoint, this is a better hitter than Cespedes. Yeah, and actually I remember the Davenport translations and um, you know people kind of questioned them a little bit. They were pessimistic, weren't they? They were pessimistic and they, I mean, they basically look like halfway between last year and this year they were like two and that's what i i'm still calling i'm still kind of using 
Davenport's translations for Cespedes as, as what I think of as true talent, which is like 260, 265 hitter with power and a little bit of speed. Uh, I think that that's what his swing strike rate has proven him to be. Um, I think right now he's, he's a little bit unlucky, perhaps because he's um, hitting too many fly balls or whatever. Uh, but, um, you know, I think that the, the Davenport translations for, for Cespedes were not like this. Yeah, so you got to assume that if he gets signed soon, that there's a good chance he'll play uh, a lot in the majors next year. Whether he opens the season in the minors or not might depend on how he performs in spring training. But, I mean, this is a guy who's probably going to end up on every single sleeper list, and then you're just going to have to decide what his upside is and if it's really worth the cost and and how much risk is involved there. Yeah, I think he's, uh, let's see here. And the thing is also, 26. He, he's 26, so you're yeah. getting him right in his in his peak age, and you're probably gonna uh, you're gonna do the Puig thing, or you you put him like probably put him in Double A right away, and, and hope that he can come up the same year you sign him. Yeah, and the thing that's different between uh, Abreu and Cespedes and Puig is that Abreu has no speed, whereas you know from Cespedes and Puig that you're gonna get some stolen bases as a little downside cushion. Uh, under their fantasy value, but Abreu doesn't have that speed, so it's not like you're going to get 10 to 15 steals there to cushion that downside. So, I mean, it's all power and the hope for batting average for Abreu. So you got to hope that that translates. Otherwise, you're going to be holding on to a fantasy bust. And he might also be a first baseman, so that's true. Yeah, so, I mean, the replacement level is pretty high there. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Minnesota Twins and... The hilariousness of how all they do is call up these pinch-to-contact guys who just can't strike out anybody. Andrew Albers, the latest guy, get this, 17 and a third innings, four strikeouts. He's got a 6.9% strikeout percentage or a 2.1K per nine. It's hilarious. Yeah. Where do they find these guys? Do they just have a factory of, I'm just going to throw it right down the plate, throw strikes every single pitch, and let's just hope bad things don't happen when the ball gets into play? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And you know what's funny is that they don't, you know, not many of them, at least not, you know, since Liriano was there, um, have like this, this the, plus, the plus plus ground ball rates that you kind of need to do that, to make that work. I mean, Albers right now is at 49%. That's good. But we know from Sierra research that 49% is not even as good as 52%. I mean, that's obvious. That's two, one number is bigger than the other. But we know that, that the further you get away from 44 45%, the bigger deal it is. And that uh, 49% would be like, a, okay, you know, he's a ground baller, but not like he's Derek Lowe. It was Jeff Sullivan who wrote the article about the Twins pitching staff. And as a staff, they actually have the lowest strikeout percentage like ever since like 1912 or something. And the team's ERA is pretty bad. Right now it ranks in all of baseball as the seventh worst ERA in all of baseball. And that's one, two, three, four, five. Oh, it's it's sixth worst in the AL. Not as terrible as I expected just because they their walk rate is good. But obviously it hasn't been working. The Twins pitching staff in, in previous years just has not been good. Maybe I'm looking well, at you know, I, 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 when I talk to, uh, to pitchers, I often ask them, you know, uh, one thing that I definitely asked the margin in particular was how do, you, how do you get both strikeouts and 
uh, and ground balls, isn't it a choice? Uh, because in a way, there are more whiffs on high fastballs and there are more grounders on low breaking things. Um, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to sort uh, all the teams for ground ball rate this year. And the Twins are 17th in baseball with a 44% ground ball rate, pretty much right on average. So the Pirates, uh, with Liriano in there in, in the fold, have a have the league leading 52% uh, ground ball rate, and they also get a strikeout and a half more per nine innings. So um, I don't think that this is working for the Twins. <laughs> yeah, and I actually made a mistake. I was looking at all pitchers including relievers, but if you only look at starters, the twin starting staff has a 505 ERA, which is second worst in baseball and the second worst in the AL with that pathetic 4.8 strikeout per nine. There's not one team that's actually below six and they're sitting there at 4.8 and clearly that's not working. And yet this is the regime that this is what happens every single year. It just amazes me how they haven't realized uh, this doesn't work. Let's, change our philosophy on pitching and get some more strikeout guys. Yeah, you know, they, so, you know, the other facet is, you know, we always talk about the, the trio of, of pitching is, you know, ground ball strikeouts and, and walks. You know, yes, the Twins uh, have the 10th best um, walk rate in baseball as a staff. But then again, like you say, if you, if you make it the, their starters, they have the 15th best walk rate. So, they basically have an average ground ball rate and an average walk rate and the worst strikeout rate in baseball. So, you know, if they're making choices, they're not making them hard enough. <laughs> they should be they should have the best ground ball rate in baseball and top five, um, you know, walk rate in baseball if they're going to, you know, give up all those strikeouts. Yeah. So they're just doing it wrong. I think they should hire us as consultants. What do you think? <laughs> no. Not likely from what I hear. <laughs> All right, let's get to some Twitter questions. Our first one is from at William Liu, and he says, Chase Headley, will he bounce back? Waiver wire third base replacements for Headley. And Headley is a guy who I think every year is going to be kind of ignored and has sneaky value because he combines mediocre home run totals with stolen bases. And you don't normally get double-digit stolen bases from your third baseman. So the fact that you're going to get, say, a 15-15 season from Headley or or a 10-15, 10-15 from Headley doesn't look that great, but it has more value than you think. And so for me, I don't think he really needs replacing necessarily. I, I would imagine that there's nobody better on free agency at third base that would produce equal value to Headley. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it either. Um... You know, it's what's interesting for me is that, uh, of course, the, the major missing thing is power, um, and we know that it's something that you kind of want to wait for. Um, that power takes the longest to become reliable, and so on. We also know that in his in his history, there there is a bit of an outlier year in last year in, in terms of its powers. So, um, you know, it's very tempting to say, oh, last year was career year, the blip. But when you look at his batted ball stuff, he's pulling the ball just as much, if not a little bit more, than uh, he did last year. And he said that was one of the reasons um, that he uh, that he had the power outbreak. Um, we know that they, they changed the fences there. 
And we know that his batted ball distance hasn't really, it's dropped off like a foot or two. It's not like a big deal. So I feel like, um, you know, everything's still there. It's, uh, he's had one of those interrupted seasons where he's been hurt and he's come back and he's been hurt again. Um, and I just think that, you know, he could easily have a great month and make everything look a little bit better. His batted ball distance is actually at a career low of about 277 feet or so, which is below the league average. And actually pretty much matches up with his current home run per fly ball rate. So you have to wonder. I mean, we all weren't sure. I, I think everybody assumed that last year was probably his peak in his career year and he wasn't going to repeat that. But I think a lot of people also assumed that the fences moving in would offset some of that power loss. So maybe he's still a 20 to 25 home run guy. And that obviously hasn't happened. So, Well, you, you're calling it a career low. His, I, I, pulled, I looked at his career average. You know, I didn't look at his year-to-year. I have his, his career batted ball distance in front of me. His career average is 290. <laughs> so if it's his career low, then it's a career low by three feet. No, he's, no his current distance is 276. Uh, oh, I think he said 286. No. Yeah, so it's below well, the that's, average. That's weird. The, the, the maps on uh, baseball heat maps don't make it look so, so bad. I mean, it looks like he's a couple feet down. It looks like he's basically... Well, that's actually uh, interesting. It looks like he's at the same batted ball distance that he was at uh, in 2011 and uh, 2010. <laughs> Which is not good because not good. Well, his home run for fly ball, you know, it's close to league average, which may- makes you think he could manage league average power the rest of the way at least, and um, that would be more like 15 homers over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's so tough because you look at this year, and it's right in line with every other year except for last. And so the automatic assumption is that last year was a fluke, but he's at an age. It's not like this came out of nowhere. I mean, he is at – well, he's 20 – well, he's already 29? Damn. Yeah. He's older than I thought. I guess I'm just defending him because, you know, he told me what he did to, you know, achieve what he did last year and – you know, we looked into the numbers, and you know, it was true. He pulled more, and uh, he, you know, he'd been afraid of the home park before, and uh, he decided last year he was just going to pull, and, and it worked out so well for him that I feel like, you know, that was a change in approach that led to a change in the numbers, and it didn't seem that fluky to me. But I mean, if everything's returning back to normal, but the, the thing is, even then, you know, a 280, 275 guy, 15. Homer's 15 steals. I mean, uh, who's you, who are you going to get off the... And Chisholm Hall is like that without the steals. Oh, I'm dying to get rid of Chisholm Hall. So. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's no... I mean, throw out some other names that, you know... Third base is not that exciting right now. Arenado is like that without the steals right now. I mean, I think he has more upside. If you wanted to turf Headley for Arenado, I mean, I, I would say no. But, um, I mean, you wouldn't be crazy, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that, but exactly. I mean, Arenado isn't going to really outperform Headley. It'll probably be similar in all the categories, but Headley's going to steal more bases. Um, You also have to remember that Headley had that broken thumb tip in the preseason. And I guess early on in the season, everybody probably just blamed that. But now as we are in August and the power still hasn't uh, been back, then... I don't know if that can still be an excuse. I, has it hasn't bothered him all year. I don't know. So, yeah, he's an interesting case. And you know what? I'll ask 
him. I'm going to be in San Diego uh, next week. So uh, I'll try to talk to him, see if his thumb is hurting him, and uh, see and what, if uh, perfect. And see if there's a there's some sort of change in his approach this year, or uh, if he's noticed something. Perfect. Okay, let's get to another Twitter question from at Actual Genius. And the first question is: Do you think this guy is an actual genius? I say no because he can't even spell genius correctly. <laughs> That's a major. Major tipping point. Uh, so he asks, where's my Giancarlo? Of course, referring to Giancarlo Stanton, who, after trading for him, has done absolutely nothing for me except score a couple of runs, which is the exact category I don't need, which is why I traded for him. And uh, amazingly, he actually has more runs scored than RBIs in the season, but he's been pretty much a uh, major disappointment while he's actually been on the field. His ISO is way down. His home run per fly ball is below 20%. His OPS is below 800. What do we make of him? Is he going to rebound over the next month and a half? Um, you know, I feel like he's uh, he's going oppo a little bit more right now. And uh, I think his batted ball distance is down a little bit from what I could see. Um, and, uh, you know, it could be a change in approach. Uh, but I doubt it. I think that he'll just, uh, you know, a lot of the things, the, one of the things about bad ball distance that we don't know is when it becomes reliable and, um, and when, you know, things like the pull changes become reliable. Because, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that, they, that players find the easiest to, to change. When they're like, oh, you know, this isn't working. I'm going to go back to pulling it more. Uh, I mean, basically, when you walk to the plate, the difference between pulling and going oppo is, is – is the difference between I'm going to focus on this side of the plate or I'm going to focus on that side of the plate. And you could change that. You could change that, you know, today. You could go up to the plate and just change that. So um, I think that, uh, you know, he knows that his bread and butter is, is made with pulling the ball for power. And um, I think that uh, we'll probably just see more homers from him in the future. Yeah, and you mentioned his batted ball distance. It's actually up this year. Last year was about 297 feet. This year it's at 303. So that's not an issue. So it, ju it just seems like random variation to me and that his home runs will pick up over the rest of the way. But he's basically a perfect example of the effects of lack of lineup protection. He's not going to perform worse. It's just that the shape of his performance might be a bit different. And you can see that right now in his walk rate. Last year, 9%, year before that, about 12%, and then 9% before that. He's at nearly 15% walk rate, and, and that's a significant, significant increase. And, of course, it's likely because his lineup is just not very good. Even though he only has one intentional walk, which surprises me. I expected more. He's probably been non-intentionally intentionally walked uh, a lot this year as pitchers obviously don't want him to be the one to hurt them, and they'd rather pitch to a Logan Morrison or before he was uh, back from the DL to whoever else was in the middle of the order behind, like Placido Polanco. Wasn't there a time when he was uh, so-called protecting Stanton earlier in the year? He was cutting cleanup at some point. Yeah, yeah, I, I do wonder. I mean, they haven't found a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, statistical basis for, for the idea of protection. But I also I don't know if um, they have uh, looked at just walk rate uh, because it would make sense, like you said, that you could you could say that if you use OPS or or you know WABA or WRC plus, you could say that there is no effect 
uh, because you know it looks like they're the same player, but if if their walk rate goes up to for a reduction in power or something, um, then uh, then it would still maybe look like the production was the same, but you're right, the shape of the production is different, and that's very important for fantasy. So I, I wonder if there's a space there for a little bit of research, um, you know, for fantasy players. Yeah, I think that would be interesting to see. And I remember, I mean, we've probably wrote a lot of articles on Fangraphs about this as well. And it, I, I recall some article in the past talking about this very thing. I think it was maybe potentially Miguel Cabrera being protected by Prince Fielder or something like that in, in that context. I can't recall, but it definitely has some sort of an effect. It's just not the effect that most people assume when they hear the Warriors lineup production. But getting back to Stan specifically, I think he'll be fine. And, I mean, he's a big strikeout guy with lots of power, so he's probably prone to have streaks of just not doing a whole lot. He'll get hot soon. The counting numbers, specifically the RBIs, might not be there because the guys ahead of them, him aren't exactly on-base machines, but other than that, I think he's still, and especially OBP leagues, he's going to be a monster the rest of the way because he walks so often. Yeah, and I, I need him to be. I mean, I, I'm I'm stuck in this 18-team um, uh, head-to-head uh, on-base percentage league, and, um, you know, it's been one of these things where my outfield is, is great, but... Um, I'm stuck with uh, with uh, an infield that, you know, I don't know, Trumbo, Kinsler, Michael Young at third, Desmond at short, you know, Mezzarocco at catcher. It's it's okay, but, you know, I have a lot of outfielders. If I could trade Stanton for, you know, a young third baseman, um, you know, plus some pitching or something, I feel like I could really rejuvenate my team. I'm really just stuck watching him right now, deciding – you know, if I want to build around him or if I want to uh, do a big trade this offseason. So either way, I need him to, to have a hot ending. Well, hey, I bet you can get Chase Udley cheap. Chase Headley. I said, I, I don't know. I think I combined Udley and Headley, and I think I said Udley. No, <laughs> Chase I, Headley I, I, would probably be cheap. Pretty hard. The guy, and the guy was rebuilding, and I was like, you know, coming at him like I was a contender. I I'm sort of am. I'm like right outside the playoffs. And... Um, and I was trying to, I was, you know, I need Headley, you know, just to just to shore me up, you know. I'm not that interested in him. I just need a guy, you know. And he's like, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to buy love. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay, you're right. <laughs> I, I always, I don't know if it's the word insulted. I don't know what word to use, but when people actually say, oh, I know you're trying to buy low, I'm like. Damn, you caught on to me. And then I know like a deal is never going to work because when somebody suspects you're trying to buy low, then they think that maybe you know something that they don't and they get more uh, afraid of making the trade. And it, Oh, yeah, yeah. He definitely – and it, you know, it's a little bit worse when you're a writer and they're not and they're yeah. like, oh, oh, he wants Headley. He must really like him. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's move along to Milwaukee where – it may have been a blessing in disguise for my fantasy team, and that's Ricky Weeks going on the DL and being out for the year. And I've been suffering with him. I've been playing him at utility in Tower Wars, and it might be a good thing that he's finally gone, so I'm not tempted to continue waiting for him to actually rebound. But now this gives Scooter Jeanette the opportunity to be their everyday second baseman for the rest of the year. Any value here? Uh, I mean... It- It'll look very different than Weeks because he's a little bit more of a contact 
guy. He doesn't have the same power, and he doesn't even really have the same speed. So maybe um, a little bit more of an empty batting average type uh, production. But um, you know, he's he's getting the chance. He's getting he's going to be in there every day. So um, you know, deeper leagues should definitely go for it. I just don't think that he's going to have the homers and the and the stolen bases to be a shallow league guy. Yeah, I mean, he's not somebody that you're like, yes, Scooter Jeanette. I just scooped him up from the free agent pool, and he's going to take me to the championship. He's not going to be that guy. But he's one of those unsexy contributors who'll give you, you know, a couple of home runs, some steals, have a decent batting average that won't hurt you, and he's going to play every day and fill up a second base position where if you have an injury in a deep league, you're basically screwed because you're picking from the scrap heap. And, and these types of guys have value, even as unexciting as they are and as unexcited as you are to add them to your team. They are everyday players, and the counting stats definitely help. Yeah, it's true. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, there's always a chance that he gets hot and that Milwaukee, you know, aids his power a little bit. Uh, but he's, he's, he's not the biggest guy. I don't think he's going to be um, – I don't think it's going to be a power thing. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, he has little chance of moving up to the top of the lineup because he's kind of allergic to the base on balls. But oh, that's right, and I noticed uh, he's he's hitting eight, and that that's where stolen bases go to die, as we talk about. So, yeah, that's yeah. So not help you there. It sounds like he's at risk of being like a one category guy, like a bat, like yeah, like you said, an empty batting average. So, although you know, sometimes uh, sometimes just batting in the eighth hole uh, pumps up your your walk rate. Uh, look at Carlos Ruiz; uh, he was a he was an eight hole hitter forever as a catcher. When they tried to move him out, uh, it didn't work, uh, and the, the the walk rate dropped. And you look at look at Ruben Tejada, who looked like he might walk a little bit when he was batting in eighth for the Mets, and then when they moved him out, it, it all fell apart. So, uh, you know, the eighth hole. The eighth hole is a blessing and a curse. It can actually, you know, p- because pitchers, um, because the pitchers behind you, uh, you'll get more walks, uh, but you may not get much to hit, and you won't get to steal any bases. Yeah, I mean, of course, and there's also potentially the situation. I guess if Jeanette was a better base dealer and he was faster, then there are situations where maybe he gets on opening the inning, and and before they lay down a sack bunt, he steals second, and so then the, a bunt would move him to third. So then you have one out with man on third, which is obviously a great situation. But Jeanette isn't a speed demon. He's not a great base dealer, so it's not like a, a Rajay Davis batting eighth and getting on base. So those situations and opportunities to steal second before that sack bunt probably aren't going to happen very often. So that basically killed my whole argument, really, for him being worth anything. <laughs> Yay! Well, I mean, he, yeah, he's a deep league guy, and that's it. He's not going to have any mixed league value. But, I mean, he is a risk of only contributing in batting average, which is not not good for a fantasy team because you need those counting stats. Yeah. All right, well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, uh, Mike Podhorzer, thanks for tuning in.